If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your private health insurance plan, you can keep your plan, period. If you are among the hundreds of millions of Americans who already have health insurance through your job, or Medicare, or Medicaid, or the VA, nothing in this plan will require you or your employer to change the coverage of the doctor you have. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Find out what is in it. This is America's Healthcare Challenge on News Talk 1290, News Talk 1290KOIL.com, and the News Talk 1290 mobile app. America's Healthcare Challenge is produced and sponsored by E.D. Bellis. Now, here's your host, Sean McGuire. Welcome to another episode of America's Healthcare Challenge. Sean McGuire here. So excited to have you here. We've got an unbelievable show lined up for you today, all about uh, the uh, latest in the healthcare industry, the pharmaceutical industry, the insurance industry. That is the focus of this program. And we've got a little bit of each one of those lined up for you today. We're going to be reporting on the breaking news that happened here recently. You'll have to find out what that is at the bottom of the hour, but it's going to affect tens of thousands of folks in the region uh, as uh, one of the other larger insurers announced that they are pulling out of the marketplace. Find out which one that is and what you can do to prepare yourself at the bottom of the hour. But I want to first take the moment to introduce my guest co-host, Trent Majors, back on the program. Trent, we've been a couple months since we had you here, but um, we've been getting a lot of uh, response to uh, the things that we put together on the last show, and it was, uh, it was a fantastic conversation, and it's going to be another one today. Great to have you back here, Trent, sharing your expertise. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Sean. How are you? I no, appreciate it. Thank you. I'm not doing too bad. I am excited about uh, what we're going to be taking a deep look at with which is something that has been all over the news, the EpiPen controversy, Trent. Have you heard a little bit about that? I mean, how could you not have heard a little bit about that? I think that? everyone's heard a little bit about the EpiPen and knows a lot more about it today than they did they did a month ago. Yes, exactly, and we're going to be taking a look at why a little bit deeper beyond uh, the, the issue of the headlines, as in why has that price gone up? And take a look at the the systematic problems. Yeah, it's it's so, it's so confusing to really understand, and all you hear is sound bites. You know, a, right. a, a politician says this, and a CEO says that, and, and and you really need to dig a little deeper to find out why these things are happening, and and maybe why they're actually getting uncovered. Because the price of the EpiPen has been going up for a long time. It didn't just happen uh, today. Right, right, and um, it's going to potentially continue to, to go this direction for other drugs that, that a lot of people are, are desperately in need of. And so we're going to be introducing our next, uh, our, our other guest hosts this week. Our friends from Vivio Health, the SPAC by Popular Demand CEO, Promote John, as well as their Chief Experience Officer, TJ Tedesco. Gentlemen, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hope you are all doing well. How are things going in your neck of the woods? Things are well. Thank you very much. Great, great, great to have you both here. I want to take a take a, a look at the uh, article that you remote wrote promote, which would have been on August 29th on LinkedIn. Great piece, EpiPen pricing. It's the system, stupid. Um, I thought it was just unbelievable in some of the things that you uncovered. You can check out our Twitter page at America's Canary if you want to see a link to that article. But promote. Um, can you uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, who the real culprit is in, in all of this? Uh, we're going to play a video in a little bit uh, and ask you to react uh, to uh, the CEO of, of this organization uh, being in front of Congress. But I'd like to, uh, to, to hand it off to you first to uh, identify the, the uh, true problem. Who, who should our listeners be blaming? You know, it's a really good question. And I think that often it's really easy for us to look at something like my land, look at something like the EpiPen, and, you know, we had the same sort of situation with Valiant Pharmaceuticals uh, a few months ago and also with Turing Ph Pharmaceuticals and with the, uh, the antibiotic Theraprim and the huge price increase. And Martin Shkreli, of course, made the news on, on all the headlines, and we were talking about that for a while. But I think the underlying question that we're not asking is, why are we hearing these stories over and over again? Because this isn't the first time, this isn't the second time, this isn't the third time, actually. This story has been around for a long time. And, I, I, and that's the point that we're addressing, which is the, this isn't an accident. This isn't a random sort of occurrence, right, that these stories are occurring. In, in the rest of our economy, we don't have to worry about these price gouging types of uh, stories because price gougers go out of business, right? 
And in the rest of our economy, if you're going to be the gas station that wants to charge 10 times more, that's fine. Nobody buys your gas. And as a result, you go out of business. But in the drug industry, right, we see this over and over again, where we're like, hey, what happened to competitive products? Where are they? Are there competitors to any of these products? You know, and this is a really interesting case because unlike the Shkreli and Turing pharmaceutical cases for Daraprim, um, there actually is a competitor or there are multiple competitors to the EpiPen. And part of the reason why in this case where we have competitive products that no one's even aware of the fact, most doctors aren't even aware of the fact that there's a competitive product. And I think that's a really interesting question that we should be asking. Well, when there are multiple competitors in this industry that are significantly cheaper than the EpiPen, why is it that none of us know the fact that they exist? And I think that's probably an interesting question. And that leads to the you know, issue of, well, the reason for that is that we all rely on what are called pharmacy benefit managers. These are sort of like in some ways insurance companies that we all contract with when we go out and buy an insurance plan for health insurance or we're an employer and we go out and contract for drug purchasing. And in all these cases, we have these intermediaries who think of them as travel agents for us. And unfortunately, just like the travel agents of the past, we have the same problem, which is unless the travel agent wants to tell us about the lower cost option, well, nobody knows about it, whether you're the consumer, because they dictate what's going to be paid for these things and what's not going to be paid. So as a result, they're not telling us. And then if you step back and ask the question, well, why aren't they telling us? Why, why wouldn't they want us to get the cheapest price? Well, that goes back to a fundamental question about how this industry works. And the way the industry works is that these drug manufacturers have agreements with these intermediaries, pharmacy benefits man uh, managers, and basically you as a consumer walk in, you pay $600 for that EpiPen, and the manufacturer in this case, Mylan, then writes a check back to the intermediary for $300. And that was what Heather Brash, the CEO of MyLine, was calling, you know, was talking about saying, hey, it's not us, it's really not us, it's the intermediaries, right? Now think about the problem with the scenario. Now the intermediary has an economic incentive for higher prices because then they can negotiate stronger rebates back. And this can also be used as a mechanism because you lock out all competition because like in the EpiPen case, there's another epinephrine auto-injector from a company called Linear Therapeutics. It's about $140 versus the $600 for the, uh, you know, for the Mylan product, the EpiPen. But there's no reason to send you to buy the $150 product when the intermediary is getting a check back for $300 every time somebody makes a purchase. And by the way, this has nothing to do with the EpiPen. Imagine that every blockbuster drug out there that we spend five or six billion dollars a year on a drug like Nexium or Crestor, the same economic supply, and the major drug manufacturers have all increased prices by four or five x over the last ten years on these blockbuster drugs. That's that's amazing, uh, TJ. As uh, as kind of the customer experience leader at, uh, at at Vivio, what what are you doing from a customer experience standpoint? Because what Promote is just talking about is is the the complexity even in the prices even if someone told you you know that's what's happening it's still very complex so so what are you guys doing to kind of help your clients um understand that and reduce those costs yes promote is is talking about the market dynamics um when we get down to brass tax and what we do for the self-insured employer the the um the one party that that gets uh, that holds the feedback, if you will. Uh, so we do two things for the self-insured employer. One, we lower their current spend on specialty drugs, and two, we improve the drug acquisition experience for their employees. At the most fundamental level, Vivio Health is a data company. We use existing data to reduce a company's specialty drug spend today, and we aggregate current and future data and apply evidence-based medicine principles to improve the overall experience of individual plan members. So what is it like for an employer to work with Vivio Health? Well, working with us is really easy. Since we are a data-driven company, it makes sense that our customer journey starts with data analysis to determine if there's an economic basis for a business relationship in the first place between our companies. We ask prospective customers to provide us with their current claims data, and we determine the gap between what they're currently paying and what they could be paying if we were to manage the specialty drug process for them. Typically, the savings can range, you know, amazingly between 10 and 30 percent 
with a normal savings expectation in the 15 to 20 percent range. And this means for a mid-sized company with 10,000 employees, these savings could be somewhere between $1.5 and $2 million. So this is our main program, and we call it Vivio Simple Direct. How we achieve these savings isn't easy, but our customers are shielded from all the back-end complexity. So all they have to do is make two choices. One, choose, choose which program they want, brown, silver, silver or gold, uh, with bronze prioritizing open access to drugs and gold prioritizing maximum savings. The second choice really only matters if our prospective customer happens to be locked into a long-term agreement where the plan changes required for Simple Direct can't be implemented right away. In this case, um, the company needs to choose whether or not to go with a, a light program, which we call Vivio Simple Savings. There is a nice benefit to Simple Savings um, because there is no complexity at all, and we can start right away. Savings are, aren't as much, but the program is really, really simple. So does that answer your question, Sean? Yes, yes. Great uh, great to know hey, that. Sean, uh, yes, sir. Sean, if I could add one more point, which is that at the crux of what we're doing, our programs do really get rid of the travel agents in between. Right. And you can imagine that what we're really doing is we're, we're connecting the, 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 you know, connecting that supply directly to the people who are buying it, minus these rebates and complex, all of that complexity is gone. Well, there's an awful lot of money in the rebate program, for example, so it would make sense why these pharmacy benefit managers would be so resistant uh, to, to this, this thing, but it's, it's ultimately going to be better for the, for the consumer, as I see it. Absolutely. Yes. So, yes. So let's... Um, Let's help the listeners understand a little bit more um, about of this this problem because I think the the EpiPen thing is is just a, a microcosm of what's going on. Uh, you mentioned specialty drugs and how that's really in your your guys's wheelhouse as you're you're uh, you're f- focusing on on how to really solve the fundamental problem. What we've seen in the marketplace right now, especially coming into 2017, is massive rate increases in the fully insured marketplace, uh, probably going to see more and more employers going to self-insured if they have not done so, which is going to introduce them to this specialty drug problem, something that is really, really uh, costly for, for many employers. And as a result, it's uh, difficult for their employees because they're they're asked to, to spend a little bit more. Um, could you give uh, the listeners a little bit of a uh, of a quick uh, understanding of this specialty drug issue and uh, the problems that have arisen over the last uh, couple of years? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think, uh, you know, about four or five years ago, most of us didn't know uh, what these specialty drugs were. We didn't know what they were for. And if you were to talk to people, we probably didn't even know, uh, we couldn't even tell you the brand name, right, of a specialty drug. And at that point in time, we were spending about 10% of our drug spend on specialty drugs. And the reason we didn't know is that most of the time, specialty drugs were being used for things like, you know, you're a hemophiliac and uh, you bleed and you need a blood clotting factor or something like that, which was extremely rare, uh, you know, rare number, a very, very, very small number of people in the population who have those types of diseases. Over the last few years, a lot of the categories that used to be things that, you know, for example, my joints ache, I'm going to be on Celebrex or some other anti-inflammatory type drug. Those kinds of drugs were, you know, back five to ten years ago, they were all, they weren't specialty drugs. They were just, you know, somewhat more expensive, you know, brand drugs, but that's all they were. Over the last five years, we've seen a huge influx of now new drugs that are extremely high-cost therapies, you know, starting with, for example, the hep C drug that came out, and it was about $100,000 for therapy about two and a half, three years ago. And in the interim, we've also seen a, a strong influx of these drugs for things like rheumatoid arthritis, restless leg syndrome, uh, you know, MS, and a whole bunch of drugs that traditionally weren't specialty drugs that were significantly lower priced. Now, all of the therapies associated with these have become specialty, quote unquote, therapies. Their price points have gone up by at least 10 to, 10 to 20x what they used to be over for these same sorts of conditions. And now by calling these things specialty, not only have the prices drastically gone up, they cover a lot of the common things that weren't so rare anymore. So now we're moving away from what used to be something like a hemophiliac, which is a very, very rare case, to something like RA, which we're not even quite sure what RA is, let alone the fact that it affects a large number of people where we've traditionally used 
other types of drugs that are lower cost to treat these, uh, you know, things like RA. And so what's ended up happening as a result of that is what used to be 10% and a very small percentage of the population has now grown to, last year, it hit 37% of drug spend. And the estimate is it's going to be 50% of drug spend in, in the next couple of years. And here's the, here's the kicker. It, these drugs are only used by about 1% of the population in, in, a, in a company, for example. Well, and I would like to ask if you if you have any had any exposure as you're looking into these issues in depth. Uh, one of the largest insurer in our neck of the woods announced yesterday that they're pulling out of our exchange in this state, and uh, their reason is because they're going to lose about two hundred and forty million dollars this last year. We're a smaller state, um, but I would have to imagine that some of the folks that went in there because. What happened is uh, it became a death spiral. Everybody that went in there was sick. Do you know what percentage of those those folks might be on a specialty drug? I mean, is that something that would really have have hurt hurt that insurance company? Yeah, you, you know, it's a really good point. I don't know what the exact numbers are, but there's an adverse selection problem with right. the public exchanges, and that is the if you think about the public exchanges, who are typically the people who who are getting coverage on the public exchanges. Sick One, people. You know, folks who, in, exactly, sicker people than the average, because they've been the folks who've typically been, you know, denied coverage, or they've been also, here's another scenario. You're a self-insured employer, and you've got a couple of these people on very expensive specialty medications. You realize at that point, self-funding actually doesn't make sense anymore, and you're better off moving all of your people into the, into the public exchanges and paying for that. Because as a result, what you're doing is you're passing on the cost to somebody else. And as a result, you know, what's happening is that I don't think, I don't think we realize that, that healthcare is a zero-sum game, right? There is no free lunch in the universe. If we're going to say that, you know, we, you know, if I don't want to pay for it, then the person next to me has to pay for it, right? And as the, as the cost of these things skyrocket, we have no control over how much these things cost today. As a result, you know, a therapy that cost $5,000 a year to treat, and you know, five years ago is now $50,000 a year to treat exactly the same thing. And someone's got to pay for this. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening is that this adverse selection drives a lot of these folks to be in the private exchanges. I'm sorry, the public exchanges. And these public exchanges all across the country are going out of business. Every, I mean, the reason they're pulling out, right? And these are not small carriers. These are the largest yeah. carriers in the U.S., like United Health, are pulling out of most of the states that they're in. Because it's completely, they're, they're losing, everyone is losing money because they're having to pay more than they're allowed to collect. And as a result, you know, it's a zero-sum game. Someone's got to pay for it, which is they're choosing to say, we're not going to play this game anymore, we're losing money. So more people do have coverage today, do have health insurance than had it five years ago. However, I'm curious is if, if anyone has any, any information on, are our results better? Are, are, are people improving uh, from, from a health standpoint? Because you would hope that that would come along with it, right? You know, that's a really good question. I, I don't know. I, mean, I personally have not seen any public studies talking about the impact on public health. I can tell you one thing, though. Over the last two years since the Affordable Care Act uh, you know, came up and the coverage was required, hospitals in America have had record profitability. And so if you know, one thing we know for sure is we don't know if people are getting better, but we do know that the hospital systems and healthcare in America is definitely improving and that they're making a lot more money. Yeah, I, th I think what'll probably be a, a little bit, a uh, few more years before we'll, we'll really know. TJ, did you have something to add there? Yeah, the what, what you're also getting at is is uh, one of the the drivers of of um, of the uh, of what's going on here, and that driver is the lack of data. So, so when when um, when a a a, um, a change happens in the marketplace, you know, it'd be really nice to know what the actual effect is in terms of efficacy and, and answering the question, are people truly getting better? From a Vivio Health standpoint, we are focusing in on the capture of data. So what does, what does, um, what does, uh, what are the drivers of, of better outcomes? And that is a, a main key point of, of what we're trying to do. Right. That's fantastic. I actually want to get into that a little bit more in depth. Um, next segment, because I think uh, 
perhaps the uh, the answer might answer uh, might might lie in uh, how we can really leverage uh, this data to improve healthcare outcomes. So we're going to take a timeout uh, here in a moment. Can you guys hang on for another segment with us, please. That sounds good. All right, Trent. <laughs> we actually cut him off, but Trent, uh, we'll uh, we'll come back and we'll, uh, we'll we'll get a little bit more of your analysis as well. And really, are interested in your thoughts on um, what happened here with the biggest insurer pulling out locally and what you think how that's going to impact us here locally from an economic standpoint. When we come back here on America's Healthcare Challenge, how to leverage data to improve healthcare outcomes. That's what we're going to be looking at and much more. Check out facebook.com slash America's Healthcare Challenge and like our page and you can get put into our, our syndication where you can get all of this content and more. We'll be right back. Research shows moving is one of the most stressful events in a person's life. But thanks to two men in a truck, it doesn't have to be. They have everything you need to move. A courteous professional staff who will customize your move, which includes a no-obligation estimate, a schedule to fit your convenience, and all the necessary packing supplies. And two men in a truck will help you watch your budget, too. Don't stress. Let two men in a truck handle your home or business move. Go to twomeninatruck.com. Two men in a truck selected Best of Omaha for nine years straight with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. You worked hard, scraped and saved for years, and thought you had everything figured out for retirement. Now you're looking at higher premiums, health care costs, and uncertainty with your doctor. Let E.D. Bellis help you solve this problem and find the right program for you. Go to edbellisinc.com and request a free consultation. At E.D. Bellis, we know health care. Looking for the most exclusive club downtown? The perfect place for your next dining experience event or work outing is the Omaha Press Club. With an amazing view of Omaha and featuring a certified executive chef and event coordinator, what are you waiting for? Click omahapressclub.com to learn more. Marketplace Nebraska is a full-service resource for anyone who needs help with their individual and business health insurance needs. If you got a tax bill from the IRS for not purchasing health insurance, let us help you. With more than 1,000 people helped into Obamacare so far, we can get you signed up fast and over the phone. Depending on your age and income, policies can be as low as $20 a month. Click MarketplaceNebraska.com to learn more and sign up today. Omaha's stimulating conversation. Laura Ingram, weekday mornings 8 to 11 on News Talk 1290. You are listening to America's Healthcare Challenge on News Talk 1290, News Talk 1290KOIL.com, and the News Talk 1290 mobile app. Once again, here's Sean McGuire. Welcome back to the program. Great to have you here. We're Taking a look at the EpiPen controversy this week and coming up at the bottom half of the show, we'll be taking uh, a deeper look at the issue of the largest insurer in our in our neck of the woods pulling out of our marketplace. But I wanted to share with you a, uh, a piece of information that I found welcoming back in to the program, Promote John and TJ Tedesco from Vivio Health, as well as Trent Majors here on the show. Uh, Promote last segment identified a, a great point in that, um, especially with these people moving back and forth between uh, the exchange or on a self-insured plan, somebody's going to have to pay for it. And I found an article on the Kaiser Family Found Foundation on our point of, of, of the EpiPen because Medicare is a huge payer in the marketplace, and that's obviously funded by taxpayers, spent $87.9 billion or, or million dollars, excuse me, on EpiPen just for Medicare users. That was in 2014, and the numbers had continued to rise over time. And so, uh, gentlemen, I want to welcome you back to the show. Uh, do you think Americans are understand how serious this problem is and especially how it could impact them from their pocketbook from a tax standpoint if we don't get this under control? You, you know, know, I... I go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the answer to that is absolutely no. And And what Americans should be thinking about is the perspective of we spend just south of $3 trillion on health care, and it's growing, and it's about a little over 18% of our GDP. To put that into perspective, if we were to look at world GDPs, this is higher than the GDP of France, which is number five. And that's just what Americans spend on health care. And remember, 
we only have 300 million out of, you know, a little bit north of 7 billion people on the planet. So when you look at that, you realize that we're spending a great deal of money, and, and we would argue unnecessarily on, on, a, on an area that we don't need to. And it's, it, it definitely is breaking the back, and it's, and it's breaking the back of the average American who's losing their job, uh, which is going to Mexico or somewhere else because of healthcare arbitrage alone. TJ, did you have a thought on that point? Yeah, um, right now, in, in general, your, your promote is absolutely correct. Uh, the you know most people don't realize that America spends 17, 18 percent of its GDP on healthcare. The next closest co- uh, country in the world, I think, is Great Britain in the 11 or 12 percent range. So we are 50 percent more. Uh, of spend as a percentage of our GDP than anybody else. But if you take a look at outcomes, we are ranked about 30th in terms of of, uh, efficacy. So there's a real disconnect between the spend that America spends on healthcare and the uh, and the actual results but however we're we're in a little bit of a window right now and and very frankly we have uh, we have the myelin epipen situation uh to to thank if that's the right word to thank for it um because right now it, it uh what has this done this outrage which you know is felt coast to coast is is being reflected in in congress and and you know there's certainly a role for congress to uh, to play and and so I think it's Tammy Duckworth um, introduced the Fair Accountability and Innovation Research Drug Pricing Act of 2016 I think a week ago or so and um, but if we take a look at what she what they what Congress is trying to do it's trying to force drug makers to rationalize any price increase over 10 percent uh, and giving at least 30 days notice of of the price increase so. That's fine, and and we certainly applaud the effort. However, it's not really, uh, you know, in, in in all due respect, it's not it's not addressing the, the the source of the problem, and the source is the structure of of how drugs are transacted in America. And as and as I think we've made clear now, drugs are a very significant portion of our overall spend. So the question we and we're not alone, there's other companies doing this as well. But the question is, how do we instead of, you know, settle for a 10% increase, which is what this, uh, this drug pricing act is trying to do, you know, we're, we're uh, we speaking just for ourselves, we're trying to deconstruct why it's this way. And what what can we do to actually lower the costs? And I think that's a, a, a fundamental difference. And one of the things uh, to, that you can use uh, to lower the cost is um, is the power of data. W- would you not say? Could you uh, talk to talk to us a little bit uh, about um, some of the ways that you guys are able to use data to to improve uh, improve things for folks out there? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you know. I think uh, one of the terms that we use um, in the industry uses is evidence based medicine. And if you think about it for a second, it's sort of an oxymoron, right? Because all of us assume that when we are practicing medicine, that there is evidence behind it, right? It doesn't have to be explicitly stated that this is evidence versus this is, you know, uh, this is uh, non-evidence-based medicine, right? But imagine that today, if you actually look at, well, how do we practice medicine and why are we talking about evidence? Because you find out as you look under the hood for the first time that actually the way we practice medicine often doesn't have any evidence in how we think about data and the use of it and and no evidence that any of these things work. And by the way, I mean, uh, if you were to start, one of the areas that we focus on is in the area of drugs. So we think one of the most important questions, you know, all of us can look at the price of something and say, hey, the price is going up. But the thing that we're not able to really assess is a much more important question of, look, there's this $50,000 a year therapy you know, that, uh, that uh, someone is paying for, does it actually work? And I think that what we've discovered is, as we, we go out and talk to employers and others, is that there seems to be a disconnect. And that disconnect stems from the fact that when the assumption that we make as consumers is that when the FDA has approved something, that it works. Now, that's a fair assumption, but I think the problem with that assumption is that the FDA's standard or what they mean by it works is completely different than when we think of it works and what, we're, what it works means. Let me give you an example. Uh, you 
know, Humira is a very common drug that, uh, you know, now we see television ads for it. It's become a household world. Word. It's about a $50,000 a year therapy, you know, for RNA. And if you were to go back, I mean, all of us assume, hey, if you're paying $50,000 for something that, uh, you know, it works, right? And that's the reason why people are prescribing it and someone's paying $50,000 for this drug. But if you go back and pull the clinical trial data on Humira, you'll find something interesting. One is that the FDA standard for whether Humira worked in the drug trials was a based on what's called an ACR test, which measures your joints, the uh, swollen joints, other things. So it's an objective test to figure out are you, you know, how is the disease progressing. And if you look at the data behind it, you'll find that the, the drug Humira was approved based on a 25% improvement over the baseline. And in most cases, the baseline was doing nothing. So then, number one, you can step back and ask a really interesting question of, wow, we're paying $50,000 a year for a drug that improved the symptoms by 25%, which meant that if you had eight swollen joints, now you have six swollen joints, and as a result, that's worth $50,000. And so that's a really good question that we should be able to ask, because what that gets us to is asking the question of value-based medicine. What's the value we're getting? And are we okay paying $50,000 more than the $1,000 therapy to get 25% better? But here's an even more interesting data point there. If you were to pull the data on Humira, you'd see that 19% of the people who took in the clinical trial who took sugar water also improved by 25% without buying, you know, being on the $50,000 a year drug which is mind-boggling and scary when you think about the fact that almost 20% of the people, all we had to do was give them sugar water rather than a $50,000 drug, and they did just as well. And then if you look at that a step deeper, you find that about 50% of the people who took Humira achieved what's called in clinical trial parlance the endpoint of a 25% improvement. So if you factor out the 20% that improved on sugar water, basically what you're saying is that about 3 out of 10 people will achieve the endpoint of a 25% improvement. But what that also means that, is that 7 out of 10 people either would improve on sugar water or not, or the drug does not work for them at all. And so that raises a really interesting question. It's not a the drug sort of works. It's that it doesn't even meet the FDA's definition of working for half the people who are on the drug. And if you look at today's model, the way drugs are prescribed, Drugs are prescribed in a way that the assumption is that the drug, quote-unquote, works. Not that we're trying to figure out which three out of ten people does this drug work for. And why that becomes important is that, well, that, that changes the way that we should think about when a doctor prescribes something. Because they actually don't know the answer of, are we in the bin of the three out of ten for whom that drug works, or the seven out of ten for whom the drug doesn't work, Right. And in the same way, when pharmacy benefit managers and other entities say that, hey, there's only one drug that you can take, by definition, we already know if that one drug, for example, in that class is Humira, that it doesn't work for 7 out of 10 people. And so what we're saying is that this whole model is not geared towards helping the patient. So not only are we paying way too much for these drugs, we're not even sure that it actually benefits the people who are on these drugs. And so this is the area where, you know, what Vivio is taking a stance on is saying, hey, we have data, and we should be collecting data that helps us answer that question. And we can. This is not an unachievable problem. This is a problem that we know exactly how to solve, and we could change that to say, not only do we not have to overpay for these things, but why don't we discover, you know, does this drug actually work for you? And by the way, all of these specialty medications, you can ask anyone who's on them, have severe side effects. So imagine you're one of the 7 out of 10 people that's on the $50,000 a year drug, and there's really no net benefit, and you're now having severe side effects, thinking that it's improving something else. Wow. That's, uh, so go ahead, TJ. And by the way, we got a caller. Do you guys uh, mind if we, we get that caller in? They might have, I think they have a question or a statement for what we've been visiting about. So, TJ, can you uh, go ahead great. and make your point, and then we'll bring the caller in? Okay, my point is, is really quick. Uh, Promote gave an example on efficacy for one drug, Humira. He did say that, that uh, the, 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 you know, those, those dynamics are broader than that. 
Uh, I'd just like to throw out a quote by Dr. Alan Roses, who is the senior vice president of genetics research at one of the uh, one of the drug companies, GlaxoSmithKline, and and his quote is: "The vast majority of drugs, more than ninety percent, only work in thirty to or fifty percent of the people. Drugs out there on the market work, but they don't work in everybody, which is precisely our point." Right, right. Yeah, that's a great uh, point uh, there, uh, TJ. Let's go to Patrick here on America's Healthcare Challenge. Patrick, how you doing? Good. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I was in the insurance business uh, 31 years, independent agent. During that period of time, let me share with you one of the biggest problems that nobody wants to talk about. Uh, my father, who's deceased, sat on the board of directors of Mutual United of Omaha, uh, when they were the largest health insurance company in the world, okay? Number one, he had a standing appointment with the president of the American Medical Association uh, twice a year. He would come here to Omaha. Dad would go out to Sacramento. He told him point blank over a couple of martinis and his professional opinion. Now, this is the president of the AMA that up to 70% of all surgical procedures are questionable, Okay, they're questionable. You're not going to put a cap on these costs. It, it, it's a runaway train. The, the Prudential, the New York Life, and the Hancock, when they were selling health insurance, when I was with them in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and around the millennium here, got out of the health insurance business, as did Mutual of Omaha, because they were losing their butts. They were losing millions of dollars. You can do all the data collecting you want and this and that. The government has taken this over, and the taxpayers are going to pay for it, okay? All right. Thanks for your statement there, Patrick. Um, gentlemen, do you have any uh, reaction to that? You know, Patrick, I think that you you know, you know make a fair point, right, in that the, a couple of comments. One is that, there are analogies to what you're describing exactly as you described, whether it's an unnecessary surgery that doesn't have, that has shaky evidence, or it's a $50,000 a year drug. You're, you're absolutely right. Those are identical situations. There's no difference between the two. It's, I think fundamentally the problem is that it's not just the government's fault, because I would agree with you that there clearly a lot of these issues have been caused by our public policy. And that's where, you know, as TJ pointed out, we think the folks on Capitol Hill are doing a disservice to the American population because even in the EpiPen case, this is a let's shame Heather Brash, the CEO for Mylan, versus let's understand why this is occurring. And the role of government is to fix the systems that resulted in that versus us shaming Heather Brash, which is not a useful exercise. And so it takes away sort of the direction of what we should be doing, which is fixing the system, which is the role of government. And I think it's a fair point, Patrick, that you brought up that that's the case. But that being said, in America, we've seen a lot of change as a result of the public sector, of, of, of private companies, I mean, that have changed the way many of these large economic systems have worked. Even if we look at things like travel and other – travel is also a regulated industry, right? And we still suffer from some of the regula regulatory issues around things like travel. But 30 years ago, we saw exactly the same sorts of issues in the travel industry. When we look at financial services, we saw exactly the same thing. And so all of those, we could have had exactly the same viewpoint 30 years ago saying, hey, this can never be fixed. It's our government's fault. We shouldn't, you know, it, it, there's nothing we can do. And that's where we'd say, you know, it seems like a monumental task to fix this. But we think that just based on the previous experience, we can make inroads. But those inroads also have to start with the consumers in America saying, I've had enough of people you know, selling me snake oil, whether that's the government, whether that's health insurers, or whether that's providers and doctors or drug companies. And if we don't take responsibility for understanding why something is being done for us or to us, well, you're right. It's going to be a hard thing. But that doesn't absolve us of our responsibility to be consumers asking those hard questions. Exactly. Well, we're up against the timeout, gentlemen. Do you guys have any final thoughts, uh, each of you, before we uh, jump off here? Uh, other than we really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk with you, nothing for me. What about you, Promote? Absolutely. You know, thank you very much for the opportunity to chat. And, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if 
if any of you out there, you know, are listening, have got further questions or want further detail, we're, we're uh, always available to chat and Great. Uh, share our insights. And your website was viviohealth.com. Is that right? That is correct. That okay. is correct. Okay, great. Yeah, check great. it out. It's a it's a good looking website, and you'll learn a little bit more about what they do. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining us here on the show. We hope you can come back again. Um, always great to have you here, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next time. Great to hear from you guys. Take care. All right. Thank you very much. All right. That was uh, promote John and TJ Tedesco from Vivio Health. When we come back, more on the breaking news of the largest insurer pulling out of the marketplace. Trent and I are going to break that down and share uh, our thoughts on what we can do to address this problem. You're not going to want to miss it next. You worked hard, scraped and saved for years, and thought you had everything figured out for retirement. Now you're looking at higher premiums, health care costs, and uncertainty with your doctor. Let E.D. Bellis help you solve this problem and find the right program for you. Go to edbellisinc.com and request a free consultation. At E.D. Bellis, we know health care. Are you feeling overwhelmed, depressed, or angry? Is your child or teenager acting out? Healing Tree Counseling wants to help. Located at 10th and Dodge, Healing Tree offers individual, family, and couples therapy. Bill and Laura are exceptional at working with children and adolescents. Ask around. They have a great reputation. Healing Tree accepts most insurance companies. They offer flexible payment plans and are confidential. Their personalized service and unique office sets them apart from larger agencies. Visit HealingTreeOmaha.com for more information. Hiring employees, complying with regulatory changes, and so on makes it hard to focus on running your business. Let Simplify HR Solutions help. We're an outsourced human resource management organization with more than a century of combined experience helping people just like you click simplifyhrsolutions.com to learn more you've seen the movie father of the bride when it comes to weddings there's enough to worry about consider the omaha press club as the venue for your baby's big day with memberships as low as 15 dollars per month rentals are free for members and we have an executive chef who will design the perfect menu for you click omahapressclub.com and our event coordinator and wedding planner will contact you for a zero obligation consultation That's OmahaPressClub.com. The Omaha Press Club, where you belong. Take control of your company's health care costs with self-funded plan administrators. If you're feeling the pain of Obamacare, we have innovative solutions for your organization. Click self-funded.com to learn more and sign up for our exclusive white paper to take control of your company's health care costs. Not only are we going to New Hampshire, we're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. You are listening to America's Healthcare Challenge with Sean McGuire. Join the conversation at 402-342-1290 or at 800-577-1290. Once again, direct from the American heartland, here's your host, Sean McGuire. Hey, welcome back to America's Healthcare Challenge. Powering through another day here, reporting the news for you. 1-800-577-1290 is the number if you would like to talk. Trent, uh... Reaction to to the, the the things that those guys said. Always great to talk with them, isn't it? Yeah, those guys really know what they're doing. Uh, really sharp and really understand the industry, especially in those particular areas. A lot of stuff we covered there, but I, you know, I think we want to go back to from a high level when you talk about the Affordable Care Act. Large legislative laws, large pieces of legislation, inherently prevent innovation. Inherently, they prevent cost containment. Governments grow until they can't grow anymore. Uh, that's the nature of what they are, and that's the bottom line, um, and that's their nature. So that, that isn't going to change. The law is, has embedded itself to prevent innovative things from occurring. Um, and so that's going to be a challenge, a huge challenge, especially for the next administration when, it, when it, the death spiral really gets uh, really quickly. So if you think about an Apple iPhone 7 just comes out of cost, well, I don't know, 750 bucks. Um, and Apple makes like 50% margins on that, right? People get in line uh, to buy that, and, and they don't care about the price. Uh, Blue Cross, um, who just left one of the exchanges, uh, one of the state exchanges, was losing a dollar fifty-six for every dollar that was coming in. Um, that doesn't work. 
I mean, if you can explain to me how that works, please call in. Uh, but that doesn't work. So the the economics don't work on that. And and we have to find out what that challenge is going to be. And at the same time, still help people, um, especially those who, um, you know, really need help in terms of, you know, health, uh, health issues. But those have to be admitted um, from the people who, who put the law together. I saw the other day that the... Uh, there's a there's a Democrat Democrats on the Hill who are asking the GOP to help them fix Obamacare. I don't know how you can get those people on board is they weren't there in the first place. No, um, they were so. they were there at the beginning because I was out there when that was happening. Both sides were actually working together. And then uh, they basically didn't they, they demanded the public option and they call, it's a non-starter. And that's how we got a. You know, one party passed piece of legislation. Right. So TJ mentioned uh, the percentage of, uh, of pharmaceuticals that that don't work on, on on all of the people. And I mean, I read something the other day that says uh, the vast majority of illegal drugs work on 100 percent of the people 100 percent of the time. <laughs> Interesting uh, perspective. So, so but if you if you and when you talk about data, data actually can help uh, in, in the system that that we're in um, quicker access to data. There's uh, there's some incredible things going on with. Um, with technology in artificial intelligence and being able to diagnose things much more much more quickly, um, so there's actually uh, uh, artificial intelligence systems that can that that have a higher efficacy on um, uh, diagnosing cancer and, and sooner. Um, so those things are coming down the pipe, and those things will help us move forward. Um, but the cost containment issue is never going to end. And what we've done is we've shifted it on to uh, millions of Americans who didn't see that before. And I think that was one thing we didn't talk about with the EpiPen was one of the reasons people are seeing the expenses of it is because of higher deductibles. Mm-hmm. So before, the price wasn't that much lower. Because you didn't know. You're paying more of it today. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a direct uh, correlation to the Affordable Care Act. Yeah. Yep, and millions of Americans are just about to to see that happen even more as uh, they go through their renewal season, and they will probably have higher deductibles that come. <laughs> how how many fifty percent increases can you handle before you you as a business before you say no more? Anybody? Yeah, I mean it's unsustainable. Especially think about a family paying a thousand dollars in premiums, and if they get a twenty percent increase on that, that's an extra two hundred dollars a month that they have to come up with. For, yeah, family cover costs, I think, are like $4,400 more today uh, than before the health law was passed. Um, so, I, you know, at, at the beginning of the show, you've, uh, you've got President Obama talking about all the great things that are going to come through and all the, the changes you're not going to have to deal with. None of those things are true. Absolutely right. none of them. Well, and to your point, I, I wish that um, the people that were around the table would take uh, some responsibility for uh, the fact that this law just didn't work out like they had originally thought that it would. Again, and, and own it and at least let us know that. Inherent to government. You don't have to. Well, on the on that point, uh, another major government passed legislation piece of legislation in um in the last couple of years, MACRA, which is a, a whole new change on how um, physicians are, are are compensated and 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 the reporting that they are required to do. This news in Forbes this week, more doctors to retire as uh, MACRA and this new value based reimbursement. Hits. It's just almost like it's too much to handle at, at, at once, all of these things. Well, and the impact on our economy, we talk about it you know, every time on the show, is the impact on the economy is, is underlying it. It's, it's huge. Um, I think over the last eight years since uh, President Obama's uh, uh, been uh, in office, he's the only president who hasn't had a growth rate of over 2% ever. Mm-hmm. Um, the only one ever. And Obamacare has a lot to do with that. Um, that, that is impacting that uh, significantly. So uninsured rates are falling. That, that is true, although they're falling on a monthly basis, right? So people are coming in and getting insurance when they get sick, and when they're not sick anymore, they're getting rid of it. That, yeah. That's actually People are happening. gaming the system. And, and, and don't forget that the IRS is going to start coming after you, too. So there's 20 million Americans who are going to start getting letters from the IRS um, saying that uh, they've got a problem, and you do not want to have a problem with the IRS. Um, so the uninsured rates are falling, but happiness with the system, uh, unhappiness, is increasing at a significant rate. Um, so I, I think the, these challenges are, are significant, and Sean, hopefully you can solve them. Yeah, uh, uh, might be a little bit above my pay grade, but um, hey, if uh, they want to uh, throw us uh, several million dollars to figure it out, we'd be happy to to do that uh, at Edie Bellis. I don't know if that is going to happen, but um, it sure would be nice, wouldn't well, it? Well, if you are an employer uh, and you are looking at uh, the mandate, Edie Bellis can help you uh, with that, and it really takes a big weight off your off your shoulders.
And it's a lot of uh, penalties that people don't realize. And just released by the Congressional Budget Office is the expectation that over the next 10 years, they are going to collect $228 billion in employer penalties due to the employer mandate. And so that's significant, too. What what was the number when the law was passed that they they, it was, they were expecting 110 billion so it's so it's doubled doubled yep it's doubled and it's going to work out to about 2 billion dollars a month from employers that they will be collecting uh, that those employers could be using to spend on uh, hiring additional people uh, doing uh, research and development creating new products and other things and you you mentioned that you 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 know some people and and I've ran into some people too, but it, it's possible that businesses could get bankrupt because of these penalties. Uh, yeah, I actually uh, met someone a couple of weeks ago, and and they the the costs for them are so significant um, that they're looking at just closing up shop. Uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable stuff. So that's why this show is so important. If you uh, enjoyed uh, the program and are interested in uh, helping support this uh, public service, uh, check out edbellisinc.com. Uh, we're always looking for partners and sponsors uh, to help bring this uh, to you because we've been warning for over five years about, about some things that are happening, and it looks like the pain is now just finally starting to come. I wondered if this day would ever come, honestly. So, Trent, any um final thoughts or, or, or points that you would like to, to share before we wrap up for the week? You know, every time I come on uh, we're doing our research, we're, we're looking at there's so much to talk about, um, and it's always kind of along the same lines. But we can do better than this. I, I think that's, you know, kind of what we uh, we get to. So if you're if you're looking into policy, um, there are options that uh, that we can do to improve uh, the system that we're in. Um, it, it, it such a such a partisan law um, passed the way it was obviously was not going to be good for everyone and and like I said some people are um, having a small benefit but a lot of people are having a a, a really big problem with it um, so well, let's hopefully we can bring some some policies to the table that that actually work for everybody yeah I mean we're we're going to have to to make that happen and um, we will continue to to monitor everything. Uh, as it comes along, wanted to take a moment to wish a happy 70th birthday to my dad out there. Happy birthday, Dad. Uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you soon. Hope all is well. And uh, thanks to all of you for, for listening to the show, America's Healthcare Challenge. Again, Health Reform Explained is the blog uh, for this show, and you can find links to uh, Promode's article earlier this uh, that we talked about earlier in the show, the EpiPen pricing. It's a st- system. Stupid. We've got more analysis on what's happening in the uh, fully insured marketplace about these large insurance companies pulling out of the exchanges, find out why that is happening, and so much more uh, on that uh, program. Glancing ahead to, to some of the shows that we're going to be talking about in the future is, is going to be a continuation of giving you the tools to make these difficult benefit decisions as you roll into this uh, difficult open enrollment period coming along in the next uh, few months. Uh, beginning October 15th for, for seniors and then November 15th for, for individuals. Going to be less choice, obviously, with the news that came out this this week. So make sure to give us a call at any point at Edie Bellis, which is 402-884-9020, 402-884-9020. If you heard this show, you'd like to learn more, want to meet me, uh, I'd be happy to, to come visit with you. So, Trent, thanks so much for joining us here. Uh, great to have you. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate it. All right. Until next time, I am Sean McGuire. Keep fighting the good fight and hang in there. We will talk to you in a week.